0: In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to listen to the story behind Studio Faith Blakeney. And we've got in studio with us today Faith herself. I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story. There's another level here as I've unpacked and getting to learn more about Faith. Kind of the soul behind this brand and this woman and the projects sh- that she's doing. And it'll be evident what I'm talking about when we get into our conversation. But without further ado, Faith, <laughs> welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. I'm honored to be here.
1: I was introduced to Liberty for her uh, some years ago. And I have a distinct recollection of being on a zoom where i was introduced to so many extraordinary women and there was a woman um, priscilla vega who was sharing and speaking and i was so moved by her so it's kind of really cool to be on the other side of it and just you know um hopefully be able to inspire women like she inspired me that day so happy to be here
0: In February, we sort of pivoted to, we changed our name, we rebranded to Liberty Road, focusing more on stories of women 40 plus. And interesting things that they're doing. Some are for-profit businesses. Some are not. Some are um, doing interesting projects, writing books, all sorts of things. So it's it's nice to be able to see these stories come to life and hopefully inspire our listeners to create their own stories. And I have no doubt that this is gonna this is gonna be uh, one of those
1: <laughs> from your mouth to God's ears.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, I love that saying. By the way, I yeah. heard that saying for the first time when I was in college in. New York. And I was like, oh, I love that so much and have adopted that. Well, we're moms. So, you know,
1: that's fair enough, right? We're the ones that get to say this. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Um, you're an interior designer among a lot of other things. And we'll get into that, but we're going to focus on your interior design career tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and sort of your point of view, your aesthetic. And it's hard because, you know, people are listening to us. We don't get to view your beautiful <laughs> rooms, um, but we can go on onto on your Instagram to see some of the work you've done, but tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing.
1: Sure. So uh, you know, it's always challenging for me when people ask me what I do and I think yeah. the short answer would be interior design currently. And That being said, I feel like, I strongly feel like we're all kind of, we have a purpose on this planet. Mm. And I feel like my purpose, at least in part, is um, to create beauty on this planet. And that, you know, takes a lot of different forms. And so, uh, one avenue that I've found of expression in that arena is that I dress people and I dress homes. I say, <laughs> and and I think like my my goal in all of that is for people to really be able to feel like their highest selves are being called into being, whether it's with mm. what they're wearing or in the space that they're living in, which is kind of the backdrop of their lives. And so that's what I spend most of my time doing these days.
0: How do you articulate that when somebody says, I need an outfit for Friday? (laughs) Or can you come rehaul my closet? Or redecorate my living room or completely redesign my kitchen from the floorboards on up? Totally. How do you infuse that? Or how do you pull that out of people? That's a
1: really good question. And and I think that it's part of, like I was saying, I feel like we're all kind of born with certain skills and um, yeah. and gifts that we can kind of impart on the world. And I grew up with heavyweight psychologist parents, PhD Harvard psychologist parents, yeah. who ran a school for uh, mentally disturbed teenage girls in Berkeley when I was growing up. So um, I feel like in my family, and I have a brother and a sister, and they're both extraordinary, and they've had a huge influence on my life. But essentially, I think that we all kind of got this gift of being able to to you know, being curious about people, sort of anthropologically and personally. And so for me, when I walk into somebody's home or somebody opens up their wardrobe to me, um, I start to ask questions. I get really curious. And what I'm looking for is that oftentimes when people bring me into their homes for whatever purpose, they're going through some kind of transition whether they just got married, or they just had a child, or they just got a divorce, or they just lost their partner of 50 years. Uh, they're going through some transition, and maybe it's maybe it's not as obvious as you know losing your lifetime partner. Maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's you know I'm moving into my 40s, and I'm like I'm feeling like I'm 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 starting to be an adult, and like I've got like dorm room furniture in my house. <laughs> I want to up my game, you know. Yeah. But for me, upping your game and you know what your space looks because now you're an adult is very different. For each person, you know, so so I really start by kind of trying to understand and getting to know my clients because I have a client, for example, who's single. And so part of their game upping or part of their grand transformation is calling in their person. So if I know that I come into the space and I'm looking and I'm going, oh, gosh, well, you know, if your person ever walks in here, they're going to see you have way too much stuff and they're not going to feel like there's space for them, like not just space in the physical sense, but space in. All the senses, and so we got to clean this out. <laughs> you know, let's, let's yeah. start by editing because oftentimes, right when when I'm doing my work, the first process is is editing. Let's get out what no longer serves us. Just like somebody might do when they were um, in therapy, right? It's just like yeah. you know, what 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 is no longer serving me about this way of being, and so that that's kind of the way that I start to approach my work is really understanding where somebody's at in their life and where they want to go. I also have clients who are really strong and entrepreneurial and they're just Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, running the show. And and you can see that in their spaces somehow, you know, that they're really into their business and it's like, okay, let's move the business stuff out of the living room. (laughs) Let's make space for living. Let's make space for dining together. So I think Um, For each person, that very, very much looks different. And what I love about my job is that exploration process, that discovery process of understanding like what is going to uh, make the difference for my clients specifically, you know, and what's going to help them to move into that new phase of their life and feel like their surroundings or their outfits are a true expression of this new being that they're becoming.
0: Representative of, yeah. What I appreciate so much about that is that oftentimes, and I'll speak to the interior design specifically, a lot of times you end up with the designer that you hired's taste, Sure, right? You end up with their aesthetic. And what I love about your process is although people are hiring you for that, sure, right? you also, You're like, yeah. They're like, I want a little piece of faith, her designer's eye. But what's also great about that is it's a song, right? Mm. You're creating this in concert with one another, yeah. with the client, so that they feel like it's their song. Absolutely. Right? That it's Absolutely. something that they're living out. And I think that's part of what I meant part of mm-hmm. um, when I talked about kind of the soul of your brand that there's so much intentionality uh, around that. But let me just hint on the aesthetic piece too, because that is an important piece of it. How would you describe your aesthetic? (laughs) Well, it's funny
1: because if you look at my work, I feel like each project is is very different. (laughs) It's very distinct. And it really gets back to what we were just talking about, which is that you know, I want somebody to walk into my client's home and not think like, oh, Faith designed this space. This is gorgeous. Yeah. I want somebody to walk into my client's home and say, holy crap, you have a really good taste. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fantastic yeah. expression of you, you know? And so to me, that's that's where my work lies. and um, And so my aesthetic to that end is also quite varied. I would say, you know, In my heart, I have a very bohemian spirit. I always Mm -hmm. have. And, you know, I grew up in a very multicultural family. My father is Afro-American and Native American. And my mother is a Russian Jew. And they're both Californian. And uh, my father converted, so he's also Jewish. (laughs) But he grew up Baptist, church-going Baptist. Wow. And I think, you know, there are a lot of different influences that I had that have an impact on my own aesthetic. And you look around my house and you would definitely see that. Uh, I also grew up in a home where, you know, we live in the hills of Berkeley in a pretty awesome house, but my parents were running this school for mentally disturbed girls And we didn't have an extraordinary amount of money. And uh, my parents also always loved old things. And so we grew up in a house full of old things. And I would go to the auction with my father. And so I kind of grew up with this passion for thrifting and auctions and old things. And so you definitely see that sprinkled in my work, no matter what the style and no matter whose home or office, you know, that you see. Uh, So that, that I would say is like a running theme. I always bring play to the spaces that I design. I bring comfort. Uh, For me, that's really important. You know, I think some people design spaces that are really beautiful, but they don't like call you in and invite you in. Whatever space I'm designing, it's going to kind of feel like home. And I think that if I had to sort of like consolidate my style into one word, I would say eclectic. (laughs) Eclectic.
0: Yeah, (laughs) You might consider that cheating, but. (laughs) I've seen your work and I think that is a good word because I I see the heart, the bohemian heart, but then I've seen other things that you've done that seem much more um, modern or even traditional. There was a Mm -hmm. kitchen you did that I was like. Faith did that. I can tell by the color. You do <laughs> right. love color. I do. That's a through line in in the things that I've seen you do. That's true. Um, but I, that's just helpful for our, I think our audience to to kind of know where you're coming from. Now, before you launched the studio, tell us a little bit about kind of what you did that informed the work that you're doing now. I know that you studied architecture at mm-hmm. Berkeley, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, there's a little parenthesis to that. Yes, I did study at Berkeley, and yes, I did study architecture. That being said, I started off at UC Santa Cruz uh-huh. and I transferred to Berkeley. I grew up in Berkeley, so I didn't want to Wanted go to Berkeley to leave for a I was little like, bit. get me out of here. You know, I'm I get good. It. It's been 18 years. It. And so yeah. I went to UC Santa Cruz and had a pretty awesome time. But after a year, um, I was already kind of longing uh, for Berkeley. And I think more than anything, just like academically, I was just, I was craving like the rigor and the kind of expansiveness Mm. of my hometown, you know, and of that Mm. extraordinary university. That's like the first university in all of California. And I was like, you know what? I'll be living on campus. Like it's going to be different from having grown up there. Um, So I transferred. I finished up at Berkeley and I also did a junior year in France. So um, I ended up actually only spending one year on, on UC Berkeley campus and I studied architecture, but I actually did a really awesome program uh, called in uh, Interdisciplinary Studies, where mm-hmm. it was kind of a make your own major thing. They basically created this major because they had students who were like on campus studying for 10 years and they needed to graduate <laughs> them. And so they were like, what the hell do we do? They haven't studied enough in any particular right. discipline to graduate them, you know, in that discipline.
0: And let's get them out of here because we've let's got get incoming them the hell freshmen out of here, right. yeah.
1: So I So by, by the I time it. I came along, you know, I was just able to benefit from this really cool interdisciplinary program. Yeah. I wasn't one of those kids, I don't think, that they were trying to get out of there. Essentially, the program was you could pick three different areas of study. Uh And then at the end, you spent the last year writing a thesis about it. And so uh, I studied art, architecture, and art history. And I ended up with, like, um, this kind of random degree. And I certainly can't sign off on architecture projects. But I never really cared about that. I knew that I wanted to do interior design when I applied to Berkeley. And it's interesting because the discipline of interior design in the UC st- system is considered vocational. Architecture mm-hmm. isn't. So they don't actually offer interior design classes at UC sure. Berkeley. Sure. Yeah. They offer architecture classes. And so I ended up signing up for this, you know, interdisciplinary studies thing. And then I was taking interior design classes at UC Extension um, where they offered vocational courses. I could have just taken classes at UC Extension and been done with it. But I really wanted to have that interdisciplinary background. And I really wanted to study architecture. And part of that is that architecture, um, as a discipline, has existed for eons. Forever. And sure. there are so many yeah. different philosophies and so many different architects. And, and interior design has existed for about 120 years as a profession. Is that know? true? Which is crazy. Oh, my crazy. gosh. Yeah. Like, I mean, people wow. people kind of um, associate it with Elsie DeWolf. But that's like, she was kind of the first, like real interior designer. Yeah. You know, that they actually called it interior designer. And so before that, architects were the interior designers. And that was all It makes, right? makes sense. Right. And And you can actually, yeah. I feel like you see that in the old buildings, that like the yeah. same person or, you know, group of people who designed the exteriors and the structure also did the interiors.
0: Right. Which is this a weird stretch, but like all the built-ins that you see in old homes, all right. of the craftsmanship <laughs> right. that took place. Yeah. The architecture the, and the okay. interior
1: design were one.
0: Right. Ding, ding, ding.
1: Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's fascinating. To me, it's fascinating. And now they're not. Now they're two no, very distinct yeah. you know, uh, disciplines, and, and, and it's pretty rare, actually, that you find structures where the architects are the interior designers. It happens, but you know, in most residential homes across America, let's just say like, it almost never happens. One of the things that I got out of that was, wow, I feel like there's a real disjuncture between interior design and architecture often. You know, and here the interior designers are studying, it's vocational, you know, they're studying color theory and, you know, these kinds of things, but it's all very applied. And like the architecture students, they were going deep into like the philosophy of interior design from the Grecian era to the, you know, and as an interior designer, we weren't really getting that. And, um, And I really appreciated having that history. What would it look like to try to kind of bridge that gap? Because, you know, even even these days, I get called in to clients' homes and we're doing a walkthrough, you know, and I'm looking around and I'm going, I can totally design this house for you, but you kind of picked the wrong house for what you want, <laughs> you know, and I wish that Oops. I could have been part of that <laughs> process. <laughs> and in fact, I do have some clients, God bless, who have come to me and they're like, I'm going to buy a house. Will you come help me pick it out? And I'm like,
0: yeah, because wow. that's where your interior design starts. is picking the right home. As a homeowner, I totally get that. I totally get that sometimes the, the twain don't meet. And it's funny how it does sort of act as a guide to what you, you know, what is on the exterior acts as a guide for the interior. And sometimes it's a disconnect. It's like, that's not, right. that's not what I appreciate or I want or I love.
1: I've been approached by people who are working with architects designing their home and they're like in the home stretch and they've been working with them for months and months. And this is like an arduous process and it's very expensive. And they gotten to a certain point and they're like, we're almost done, but something's not right. You know, can you help? Interesting. And it's because I think architects, God bless, because we really need architects in in interior. Like, I can't do my work unless somebody designs the house. We need architects. But they just see spaces differently than interior designers, you know? And so I came into this client's home and they showed me the architect's plan that the architects drafted up. And they said, and they were saying, oh, you know, and the idea is that when you walk in, you can see straight through the house and to the exterior, and we're going to have these big slides folding doors that open and I was like oh my gosh I love this vision and I said okay so where in in this space are you guys gonna like sit and have kind of a living room area and they're like oh we're gonna have it right here and and I said okay cool and do you guys watch tv and they said yeah I said well where are we gonna put the tv what are you thinking about that I was like because I feel like there's only one wall to do that and they were like yeah you're right and I said well then the sofa is going to be right where you're talking about that you wanted to have this open thoroughfare to get from the front of the house to the back of the house you're going to have a giant couch And they've been working with this architect for four months and nobody thought about where they're going to put the couch in the living room. When clients call me in the beginning of projects or, you know, when they're bringing on an architect and they're like, you know, I say, you've done well because it's really smart to bring on an interior designer from the beginning. And that's how buildings used to be designed, architecture and interior design together. And that I think creates a much more holistic design.
0: I would think that that would be a big part of your brand. I mean, we talked about the kind of the soulful piece of it. We talked about you pulling out the client so that they're really getting something that is theirs. Mm -hmm. But I would think that this would be a big part of it too, that not only your education, your background, um, but that it would be a meaningful part of what people would be looking for as somebody who lives at that intersection of both design and architecture.
1: I do know that I I love to like collaborate and I feel like the best projects come when we all can put our heads together and that is the client so that we make sure that we're fulfilling on their dream, you know, and an architect, structural engineer, you know, contractor, when, you know, when I meet an architect who already has a contractor and they want to work together, I'm like, let's do this, you know, because, because like I said, I feel like if we all put our heads together, that's when we're going to come up with like the most fantastic design because we all have very distinct and very essential skills to bring to the table. I feel like part of my job is like a translator and a liaison between these different entities where I want to make sure that the job is done right and that it's also again, this fantastic expression of my clients, because that's the end goal.
0: Yeah. I hope our listeners are able to hear that. And out of a sense of curiosity, ask themselves, like, what are those things that I naturally bring to the table? What are the things that Mm. I've been educated in? So we've talked about that with you. The things that Help me give other people meaning the way I serve people, which is the work that you're doing in in helping them create space for what's important in their life, what's valuable, what they want to feel com- how they want to feel comfortable in their own bodies, in their mm-hmm. own homes. Yeah. But also this, you know, you talk about being a li- liaison, and it's this other piece, this. Um, part of kind of who you are as a personality and uh, and how you are able to hold space for the architect, for the client, for the work that you're doing. And I want people to hear all of these mm. things and how all of these things can work in concert with one another, because I think it's like, oh, okay, we start to feel really alive when all these pieces of ourselves are being triggered. Absolutely. The good kind of triggered. Yeah. All the lights are going on. <laughs> right. But there's more to to the 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 work that you've kind of done in the past that I think has probably informed the work you're doing now. You hit on it a little bit when you talked about going to these auctions with your dad as a as a child in Berkeley. But also I know that you spent time not only studying in Florence, but you and your sister had a store, a concept. Uh, in, in Florence. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So I will say that I feel um,
1: incredibly lucky to have grown up in a family uh, where we got to travel a lot. And uh, my parents, whenever they you know, wanted to go somewhere, they would always bring us along Like, I don't think they took a single trip when we were growing up without us, except for work, which was pretty awesome. And so I think all of us, my brother and sister and I, have a great love of travel. And so I've kind of made sure to make that part of my MO. (laughs) And uh, as such, I did like uh, my parents actually, we moved to Switzerland for a year when I was in high school And that was incredible. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of threw us into public school. And it was like a sink or swim vibe. So (laughs) we learned to swim and follow school in Switzerland. And then, yeah, when I was in college, I did a year abroad in France. And I got to study architecture there at the university, which was also incredible. And when my sister was finishing up at UCLA, she's two and a half years my junior. um, And her name Mm -hmm. is Justina Blakeney. Some of you may know her because she has... Probably the most awesome blog shop feed
0: <laughs> in the world. Aww, what a sweet the thing for you to say about your sister. It's only That's awesome. true.
1: It's only true. I have so much like love and respect for like what she does and who she is and what she brings. And so that being said, she was finishing up at UCLA. I had finished up at Berkeley. I was um, working at an interior design firm. It was my first job here, and I was like, "Ooh, this isn't for me." and uh and yeah. i was like let's get out of town and she said let's get out of town <laughs> and long story short we like i think it wasn't even a week after she had graduated from UCLA we were on a plane to italy with kind of no plan in the world
0: <laughs> oh wow
1: yeah she had done her junior year abroad there and okay. she wanted to go okay. back cuz she had left a boyfriend there and i was like let's do okay. this. Let's go back. So we went and we like slept at her boyfriend's parents' house. It was just like very spontaneous and, uh, and amazing.
0: And things that you do when you're in your late uh, or early 20s. Exactly. You know, it's That's it. We like, were in our early
1: yeah. 20s. And so we thought, you know, we'll spend a year here. We'll do whatever we can to make some money and, and just enjoy life here. Mm-hmm. And that one year turned into over six years that we ended up um, wow. living and working in Italy, again, like with no plan in the world. But, and each year we kept thinking, okay, this will probably be our last year. Okay, this will probably, but it was just too good to leave.
0: What was too good? I mean, yeah. the gelato, the the cute boys, the, <laughs> yes, the work. Yes, yes. Like what was, yeah. <laughs> what was it that was like really keeping you grounded there? That's a great question.
1: I think... Italian culture is incredible. I feel like I learned in Italy, which might have been as valuable as my various degrees, is um, the
0: art of living well. Mm, I t- can totally see that. Yeah. I mean, having, having traveled there several times. They've really honed the
1: art of living well. And I think that yeah. if there is, you know, a crash course that we Americans could afford to take, <laughs> yeah. that would be one of them. Yeah. You know, it's like here they say oftentimes like, you know, we live to work. And in Italy, they very much work to live and it doesn't really matter what the economy is like it doesn't really matter if you just lost your job like I'm gonna see you in the piazza with a you know glass of wine in your hand at the end of the day and and we're all yeah. gonna you know have this place where we convene and we share stories and we laugh and we cry together and uh, we go to bed a little tipsy and with our bellies full of yummy pasta <laughs> and it makes life better.
0: (laughs) You must have brought that all here in terms of, um, even as you're designing spaces, creating spaces for people to commune, creating spaces for people to live well.
1: Absolutely. Another really, really special thing about Italy is that they are very, very into aesthetics And it's Mm -hmm. just part of their culture. It's ingrained in their culture, like, deeply. I'll never forget when we first moved to Italy and we were staying with my sister's boyfriend's parents. And uh, the father was a contractor. And uh, he was, you know, 65 years old or something like that. And he would come home uh, for lunch. Because, you know, meals are very important in Italy, which is also part of that living well thing. And he would have a two-hour pausa, you know, for lunch. And so he would come home and watch the news because that's what he would do. And on the news, because it's Italy, among many other things, they would have runway shows. Like just as part of the lunch daily news, which in and of itself is kind of a phenomenon. But what I found really cool was that this fantastic general contractor, Palmino, was 65 years old, was like, my God, Versace, this new collection, it's so good. The last one I did not like so much. And I'm going, what? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> like my dad doesn't even why know who you know? Versace How, is. Why do you care? <laughs> yes. No, that's fascinating. But it's just deeply ingrained in their culture. You know, I mean, even yeah. in the way that they speak. So like if there's turbulent waters out in the sea. An Italian will say, il mare è brutto oggi. Oh, the ocean is very ugly today. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's a funny way to see it. You know, I never saw it like that. But but it makes sense because Italians have this way of seeing things in an aesthetic sense. It's just very ingrained in their culture. And you see it in the fashion and you see it in, you know, the interior design and you see it in the glasses that they drink from. And, you know, it's just, it's all over and it's deep.
0: And it's in their history. Absolutely. I mean, you never leave any part of Italy, whether it's one of the cities or the countryside without being struck by its beauty. It's beauty.
1: And I'm a sucker for beauty, so.
0: <laughs> and it makes sense to me now in, in hearing you. Um, why it's not just interiors that you're fascinated by or that you feel um, sort of called to. It's also people and how people present themselves and how people feel good about living in their own skin. I think that
1: sometimes, uh, you know, people don't even really know what is going to light them up you know, like what's going to make a difference for them in their space. Like I had a client who meditates every day and she just would meditate on her bed. And I was like, what would it look like if we consecrated a little area in the corner right near this window? Or if you want a dark space, we can do that corner over here. So you had a space to meditate, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, her face just lit up like she hadn't really thought about that. She was just always meditating in her bed, (laughs) you know, and just these kind of little things, I think, that can really increase the quality of our lives that we kind of take for granted.
0: We've interviewed lots of interior designers, lots of wonderful interior designers, but um, I want people, as they consider kind of what's next for them, I want them to hear how different people can come into a ve- the very same space. Mm. What you bring to it is so different and mm. such a value. Mm. And there's r- kind of room for all of us. And so Absolutely. I appreciate all the storytelling because I think it's further making the point. One of the things that sort of was an exclamation mark on on wanting to interview you before I saw you on this uh, Magnolia episode. And it was so interesting for me to see. Um, when it was fun to see, kind of your family was infused in that, yeah. and that was so precious. The work that you were doing with your brother, who is equally soulful, such meaningful and profound work that he's doing. To see you guys come together, and that was all evident in the episode. And and the name of the show for our listeners is Point of View and it's um your particular story you're one of the designers that they feature and then an article that you um shared with me about a retail space that you got to be a part of yeah. i mean what a what a cool story and i'm going to make sure that this is included in the show notes cuz it's such a special piece but about a gentleman who was incarcerated for i think like 8 years yeah, or something got like it. that cool. gets out of jail Um, he's got his own story, which is fascinating. He's connected with your brother. Your Mm -hmm. brother becomes an investor. You become the, the designer for the space. It's a, it's a retail shop for, for sneakers. Yeah. Sneaker house. But they have a program where they're helping other men who have been incarcerated and how they get out and the way the, the physicality of the space leans into his history where most people would be running away from a history of having been incarcerated the benches in the space, the phone, the payphone in the (laughs) space, the little stool. I was like, oh my gosh, this person has totally utilized their history to tell their current story, but their future of helping others. And I thought, oh my gosh, what an interesting project to be a part of and Mm. to really lean into the blue that you created for the sky, which was the sky that he longed to see when he was incarcerated. I mean... I was, like, moved to tears. It was really amazing. (laughs) What is it like for you to tell those kinds of stories, like translating a story into physical walls and and spaces?
1: Mm. It's a good question. And this is, like, part of my journey that I actually look really forward to sharing because... As I mentioned before my parents ran a school for mentally disturbed girls and it was you know right. part of their calling really and part of their purpose and they yeah. transformed the lives I kid you not of thousands of girls um, adolescent girls who were like at the end of the system, it was going to be last stop mental institution on meds for the rest of your life. Like they were level 14, which is just kind of like the highest level of crazy or what have you, you know? And so my parents were really working on the front lines when we were growing up. I mean, we would go wrap presents for Christmas for all these kids and and celebrate Christmas with them because we're Jewish. So (laughs) we didn't celebrate Christmas at home. So we very much grew up in that environment, and I saw my parents on a daily basis transforming our community like kid by kid. So when I started to um, uh, do interior design, there was part of me that had always felt like this was my calling and I was the kid in the back of the room when I was eight years old, like sketching bedrooms. So that's always been a part of of who I am, but I felt a real conflict because I was like, yeah, but... But, you know, you're put here to make a difference on the planet. Is finding a great sofa and chair for a living room going to make that difference? Yeah. And it felt um, it felt like a real conflict. Like I would wake up in the morning and i would going, like, is this really my purpose? Am I living my purpose? Come on, God. Like there must be something more important for me to yeah. do. And it took me a long time before I realized that actually what I'm doing is important. And, mm-hmm. you know, that we all have our gifts and we can all, uh, use our gifts to make good on the planet in some way. And so like yeah. <laughs> I'm crying as I say this, cause I
0: know, I know. I feel really I
1: honored. I feel really honored that I can, you know, utilize this gift that I was just granted, um, to transform spaces that make a difference for people that transform people's lives. My brother owns three. Re- he has like well, it's one rehab. It's called Recover Integrity, and it's absolutely incredible. He opened up maybe five or six years ago here in Los Angeles, and I got to design all three of his locations for the rehab. Yeah. And, and it's so powerful that I get to like design spaces that these men are coming through who are going through some of the most incredible transitions and the most challenging transitions of their lives, like trying to, you know, they're being reborn there. And I get to like design the backdrop of that, you know, and even in that space, when I was designing a rehab, there were these two conference rooms. And I said, what the hell do you need two conference rooms for? I said, you know, bro, would you be cool if I created this Moroccan lounge in one of the rooms? And I'll never forget, he shared with me that, that one time they had a student or, you know, a a patient, I guess, who came and, uh, and he was like nonverbal. He was in such a way and he was, you know, in withdrawal. It was, he was a mess and they brought him in and he couldn't sit with other people. He couldn't do groups. He couldn't do anything. And he said they would just come and all he wanted to do was sit in the Moroccan room. (laughs) It was like, that was his sanctuary. It was like the only place where he was okay. (laughs) You know, and it just moved me to tears to like hear that story and to know that like I get to be the one who kind of creates these spaces that can really make such a difference for people. So um, my brother is a serial entrepreneur (laughs) and last year decided to open up a sneaker shop. And he's always had a passion for sneakers, so it didn't seem so crazy, even though he is also a father of four and runs a rehab and he's a rabbi. My brother opened up with Cole, his partner, um, a shop called Bottom Bunk. And mm-hmm. it, in part, it was a tribute to their journey. Um, they were bo- are both recovered addicts and they both kind of, you know, found the path to resumption and Bottom Bunk is the bunk that you sleep on when you've been in jail for a long time. When you've been in prison for a while, you get the bottom bunk. That's like the VIP bunk. So that was where that wow. name came from. And uh, and essentially, they wanted to open up this sneaker shop, which was kind of a dream also that Cole had from while he was in prison and maybe even before. And um, and the idea also was that they would give back a portion of their profits to facilitate the rehabilitation of you know incarcerated men and women, and that they also wanted to start. Programs to support that um, in the community, and so this was going to be kind of a, an epicenter for for that vision. And so when we started to powwow about you know what the space would look like, I was like, I kind of want to like lean into this whole prison thing. And <laughs> I remember talking to my sister about it because you know we convene a lot about all things design, and she's like, ooh, controversial. <laughs> I don't know about that. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, I want a prison phone in there and I want handcuffs on the ceiling. (laughs) You know, like I want, you know, their logo to be orange and I want the people working there to be wearing like prison, you know, like outfits. Like I'm like, let's (laughs) lean in. And I knew that that was a controversial stance to take, but I also so believed in the message that I really wanted it to come across. This is where we came from. We started from the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it's really a beautiful story of redemption, and it's inspiring.
0: It absolutely is. It absolutely is a beautiful story. And it took, you know, I think a keen eye to be able to see what the space could be. The fact that your brother brought you in to look at this space, and you knew that that space was going to tell that story. Yeah. But also, this is not soulful at all. This is just a, a matter of fact, like... It's a great brand. Like, yeah. it's a great way it's to story really tell. Cool. I mean, I will never forget this. <laughs> I will never forget the name. I will never forget this story. When you said, like, oh, I'm, you know, creating beautiful spaces for people. Is this really the mark I want to leave in the world? You know, is this the impact I want to have? And, the, and then you get you got comfortable with that because you saw the impact that that had yeah. and the import of that. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not just in the work that we're doing. It's in the way we live our lives. right. And I have been known to say right here on this podcast that I too struggled with that. And at some point I realized if I do the work I feel called to do, and if I work, if I'm doing the work that I feel like my gifts and talents, um, have created space for, then by, by design, I will be serving others by design. I will be impacting the world for good that it is, that is part of the way I see sort of the world working and sort of. Um, God's creation sort of manifesting itself. So it's all by design. Exactly. If we lean into who we yeah. are, we we discover our gifts
1: and we find yes. ways to yes. express them. It's funny, I, I got approached um, just last week by a dear friend of mine who has um, been running a homeless synagogue for the past three years. They've been moving from space to space. And she called me last week and she said, "Um, Faith, I know you're really busy, but, you know, would you have any time to help us design our synagogue? And I am really busy and I've been turning down projects. And she called me and I started crying. And I said, Hineni, which in Hebrew means here I am. Mm -hmm. You might know the Leonard Cohen Mm -hmm. song, Hineni. But um, I just thought, what a blessing that I get to, that I get called on to do these things and that my gifts that I didn't think were so significant can transform the space and for people who come, you know, anyway. So um, yeah, I really believe that we all, we all have those gifts, you know, and I think it's so easy in this world to get caught up in the making money and the this and the that, and I get it, you know, I'm a single mother. And so when I, um, when I started working, I was also like, gosh, maybe I need a real job. I moved back to Los Angeles because because uh, <laughs> I was running out of money and I wanted to be around my family because I had a three-year-old that I was raising on my own. And I wanted to do yeah. interior design. And I had a million stories for why I wasn't um, going to be able to do it. You know, I kind of knew mm-hmm. I had this gift, but I was like – you know, you didn't exactly study interior design. You only kind of did, and and you know, you don't have a resume, and you don't even have money to put together a website, and you know, how the heck do you think you're going to do this? I was doing this course at the time, and uh, and they and and we kind of learned this thing. It was sort of like the bee do have distinction. They said, you know, if you want to yeah. have something, you got to start with the B. We always think, oh, if I only had this, then I could do this and then XYZ, i could be yeah. this yeah. if i only had a degree if i only had a money if i only had a husband then i could do this and then i could be this and it's like what if we start with the be? what if we start with the who we're being in it all you know and then we take those actions so that's what i did the next day i like went out and i bought a bunch of architectural digests which has always been my favorite magazine <laughs> and i started designing the logo for the you know business cards that I didn't have money to print (laughs) and I kid you not the next day I went to a wedding and I got approached by a couple and I'm you know I like fashion so I had on I don't know I guess a nice outfit and somebody said I love your outfit what do you do and I said well I'm an interior designer (laughs) (laughs) and I I was like you are so full of shit right now did I really just say that (laughs) And, uh, and then she said, oh, my God, our house is in escrow. We just bought a place. Would you be interested in coming by and um, and would you be interested in designing our house? And I was like,
0: yes. Yes, because I'm an interior yes, designer. that's what I yes, do on a daily would.
1: basis. Just don't ask me for my <laughs> website or a business card. <laughs>
0: it's it's under construction exactly. because we had to redo everything yeah, as up, am I all the projects under events.
1: construction yes <laughs> all of us and are. they were
0: my first clients I love that we're wrapping up this this part of the podcast with this B. what is it B do, do have? have I love it thank you for that I feel like you could mic drop and walk off and we'd be we'd call it a day but <laughs> but I'm not letting you off the hook so I've got five quick, quick questions to ask you. And just the first thing that comes to mind. So what's a favorite hack or book or practice, something that you've been doing on a regular basis that you'd love to share with our audience of females over 40?
1: I've been taking vitamins every morning because I feel like (laughs) that gets important at a certain age. So there's that. Um, If you're single, um, which I've been, I've been single on and off for like my entire adult life. And I only just met the love of my life, but I um Aww. my favorite book is Calling in the One and it's absolutely incredible. It's a game changer and okay. it's a fantastic book to read. It's a good one. I would also say, I think like my lifeline is that I actually did this coursework called landmark education. And um mm-hmm. and it changed my life. We created um a group. We're seven people and I would have never necessarily thought that any of these people in this group would be close friends. But I would say more than anything, have a group, you know, a group that convenes yeah. every week, every month or something that you love and trust that supports you. And if you don't have that already, like find them. In one
0: word, how would you describe midlife? Expansion. Mm. I I love the whole concept of expansive and expansion. I love that. Mm. And then what would you say to somebody who said to you, perhaps a friend, Faith, I, you know, I don't, it's too late to start over. It's too late for me to do something new. I'm, you know, 50 years old. What do you want to say to her?
1: I would say to her, keep the faith. (laughs) Uh,
0: Touché. Touché. I mean that seriously.
1: And it's a name that I haven't always been able to kind of embrace for that reason, because it's a lot to ask. But it's also, I think, probably one of the most important things to do in our lives. And, you know, faith takes many different forms. But I think just Believing. Believing in greater good. Believing that it's going to work out. Believing in yourself. Believing in resilience. Believing in falling and believing there's a lesson there and getting back up. You know, I think that's, that's what's going to get us through this.
0: (laughs) Is that the same advice that you would have given your 20-year-old self about midlife? Absolutely. Keep the faith.
1: Yeah, for sure. Keep the faith.
0: I love when we haven't heard something. We haven't heard that one. (laughs) We pivoted to talk to and with uh, women over 40 who were doing interesting things and really sort of reinventing um, and reimagining this part of life. What would you say the work that you've done has, um, has done to liberate you, has done to liberate faith? Hmm, that's such a
1: great question. I think that um, for me, liberation comes in the form of growth. Mm -hmm. and that the work that I do pushes me to grow every day, you know, and discover things about me, discover blind spots, discover, you know, that I'm not as bad at math as I thought I
0: was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, good for you. Now you're just showing off. Hilarious. I said I'm not as bad. (laughs) doesn't mean I'm good. (laughs) I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that growth with us. Thank you for um, just being open to share your journey with us. I know listeners, you know exactly what I'm talking about now when I said that Faith uh, and her business really led with their soul and that you would, you would see that in this, in this conversation. Thank you for being with us, Faith. I so appreciate your time. It's my honor and privilege. Truly, oh, thank you for oh. asking me to be here. Ah, oh, absolutely. And thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, and it's there's an exclamation mark like here. I, I knew I knew having you on the podcast was gonna mean something and I wasn't wrong and I'm gonna call that out. I was not <laughs> wrong. This has been so awesome. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for sharing this hour with with Faith and with me. We so appreciate it. And we will be back next week. Talk to you guys soon. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.